Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 1st, 2010. Newcomers, as always, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com websites, help yourself to the audios there, there's hundreds of them to choose from, where I try to give you shortcuts to the big picture of the incredible organization that runs the world. And it is an organization, thousands of branches all working together towards some common purpose, which they, they give you many, many clues of, of course. You actually see it in your daily life. You'll see it through the, the regular media as they put out reports for you to read and consume, uh, which actually help to program you to accept the next phase and the next phase without you even knowing uh, what's really happening to you or how your opinions are being formed or changed and how you're not reacting to anything either when it does happen. Uh, this is a technique that's used. So I, sh- I try and show you the shortcuts to understanding this big agenda. And I show you many of the big organizations, foundations, uh, non-governmental organizations that are incredibly well-funded, uh, professionals actually, who go across the world attending global meetings that influence and direct your future. And many of them don't even get a mention in the news at all, because the news is not there to inform you, it's meant to program you, that's what it's really for. And to make money, of course, from advertising. While you're in there, too, remember that you're the audience that bring me to you, so remember to buy the books and discs I have for sale. That's the only income that comes in here. And I uh, don't accept money from advertisers. That's why I don't bring on the guests. And the ads you hear on this show uh, are paid by the advertisers directly to RBN to get this show out, to broadcast it, to pay for their time and equipment and their staff and their bills. So you help me with mine. To purchase the books and so on from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use a personal check and you can use an international postal money order from your post office. Cash is fine. You can use PayPal for donations or to purchase. So if you want to purchase through PayPal, send the donation followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it right out to you. Same across the rest of the world, remember, with the addition of Western Union. If you want to wire it, it's kind of expensive. MoneyGram is cheaper to wire, and it's even cheaper still to get MoneyGram to write a check out in Canadian dollars on your side and post it. Uh, Airmail's fine. It takes about seven days altogether to get here. And that should be fine. Some people send cash too, by the way, and that so far that seems to come through. But as I say, I try to show you the big picture of the world you're living in. Most folk uh, really float through it, especially if you're young, you're, you've given so many distractions and you're told to have fun, 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 and I've certainly put on plenty of places where you can have fun these days with no restrictions, basically. And as long as you can afford to keep having fun, they'll keep you dumb and stupid and until you end up a perpetual teenager, even when you hit 60 or 70. That's what's already happened to a generation who are terrified of maturing gaining wisdom and thinking for themselves. Because you see, you can only gain wisdom by truly thinking for yourself. Most folk don't do that. Believe it or not, they don't do it. They leave it to the media to do the reasoning and their thinking for them. And if you're a whole generation is changing at once in this, this manner, 
by this technique of indoctrination, they all think they're quite sane. Uh, we're living under a scientific dictatorship, in a sense, uh, exactly as Bertrand Russell and many others talked about would happen, because after all, they were in on the big planning of it at very, very high levels. So I'm not kidding about that at all. You think you're free, but you're not free at all. You're free to bounce from from here to there, to this club, to that club, whatever you're doing when you're young. You're free to look into as many sites that titillate your senses when you're young. But that's all distraction. It's a form of drug as well. The bars are really all around you. They're, they're in your mind, really, around your mind. And as long as you don't buy against them, you don't notice them. You're too busy having fun. That's fine for the ones who want to do it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about this big, strange old world we're living on. I can't say it's ours anymore. I don't think it really ever was, unless we go back millions of years or something. Because, really, we've been run by very intelligent people who form associations initially, cartels. Uh, they, they create a thing called money, and they make sure they run it all. And then they create compound interest and lend it to you, and then they sink you, and then they own you. And, and on and on it goes. Then you have classes rising up, too, of the privileged classes who own most of the money since they've been better at stealing it than anyone else. Uh, and then you have the lower classes at the bottom that were awfully, awfully important for a hundred years there in the 20th century and even before because they were used as a cannon fodder to take over the world for their masters who would end up running it. And that's where we are today. They're in the process now of interdependence. The whole world is pretty well conquered. A couple of nations have held out, but they'll shortly be bombed to smithereens, no doubt. And that's what the U.S. is paid to do at the moment is just to go over and make sure that the last few countries that stand on their own are standardized one way or another. And we're really actually living through it. Most folk don't care, and I don't blame them because, you see, having the human mind and being born in a certain place, you're generally unconcerned about what happens in some faraway land. Most news today is is from so far away you can't relate to it. It's outside of your daily ken, as they say, your knowledge or understanding or experience. And therefore, it's almost fictional to us when we hear about what's going on in different countries. We can't understand, for instance, why the U.S. is spending $2 billion per, per week on a place like Afghanistan, you know, that's got a, a tiny national um, gross domestic product. And yes, $2 billion per week has been spent on it just to get, keep this war going and stuff like that. We can't understand these things. It's outside our knowledge. And of course, the masters who run us make sure that we're not supposed to know what the, the real agenda is. You know? So we get this kind of news going on all the time. We have massive propaganda campaigns mounted against the public um, from, again, mainstream uh, in collusion with their, their masters, their, their guys who own them. And we also have the counter-propaganda, and lots of the, pro- the counter-propaganda is just as much propaganda, really, and controlled propaganda, too, I should add, uh, from ones who, who tend to put those who are waking up back to sleep again, or at least confuse them, put them into a spin, going round and round forever, never really getting real information of what's going on. And you'll never get it unless you go into your histories to find out how these big organizations arose, how you ended up having this massive parallel government, 
And it's a very interesting story because, you see, when people were pushing for a thing called democracy, this is it's something like freedom. It's one of these strange, evasive terms that, that's used. We're always seeking for it and trying to find it. It's like having rights or getting rights, and we have rights and stuff. You're always looking for them, trying to get them. And it's the same with democracy, but you've never really had it. And it was a silly, silly thing for those who who have fallen into the trap of believing that, that somehow you got it at some period or another because you're allowed to vote. That was a big con of those who already ruled you and still do. So we go through the facade of the voting nonsense where you vote for this millionaire or multi-billionaire these days over that multi-billionaire uh, and they play the party game. They're always having parties uh, on your dime, of course. But anyway, that's the reality of the world you live in. And Carl Quigley, who worked for the Council on Foreign Relations, one of the biggest organizations that was set up to bring in this world agenda on behalf of its uh, grandfather, you might say, which was the Royal Institute of International Affairs from Britain. Uh, he actually wrote about it. He was a member. He was the historian for the group. And he talks in tragedy and hope about the future that we're bringing in. A new type of feudalism, he called it. We call it public-private. It sounds better than feudal. So um, we call it public-private partnerships today, where everything that, that, that the people have been soaked through tax money to build up all the big roadways, uh, power plants, installations, routing, maintenance, and so on, all that's been built and then it's handed for peanuts off to, to private corporations. It's all been worked out in advance. That's public-private. But the, the, the public part is that you still pay for all of its maintenance while they just take the profits. That's the real world. And then you have interdependence with this parallel government as they make us all... Uh, liable for everybody else's debts, supposedly. What a great banking con. But it shouldn't surprise us because the ones who set up the main organization, the precursor that, that, that founded the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, was the Milner Group that was comprised of the biggest international moneylenders on the planet, based in London at the time. And they set up this. They also wanted to take over the entire world's resources. Well, that's what's happening now through public-private. Your water is being taken over by a couple of corporations. And I'm talking about water worldwide. We have five agri-food businesses primarily. And personally, I think the same shareholders that own all of them. So it's really one company owning your entire food supply of the planet, which they've also tampered with to make sure that they get compliant, obedient and not too long-lived citizenry, I'm sure. That's the reality of the world you're living in. And the age of nationhood, as Mr. Rompuy said, this little dictator of the EU Association, or whatever you want to call this, this, this new Soviet, he said it was the end of the nation-state. It's over, he said. And it hasn't quite penetrated to people that he wasn't talking just about Europe, because this is a, this is a world agenda through the United Nations. That was the intention of those who set up the United Nations a long time ago. And they had the ideas written out in other people's plans in the 1800s, including Karl Marx. Now, so say we're all the, really supposedly on the, on the block to pay up everyone else's debts. We're all in it together. That great statement of yours down through all the wars for the citizenry. You all right, pull, pull together, tighten your belts because we're all in it together, you know, even if you have no clue what's even going on, which is generally the case. And we're now supposedly going to have to bail out countries across the world. Well, the U.S., of course, I knew this was going to coming in because the real intention is to bring the International Monetary Fund up 
to uh, its proper status, the, the status it was supposed to have gradually in two phases, according to the founder of it, in fact. He said that a long time ago. He's dead now. But he said it would be two phases, and he says he wouldn't live to see the second phase come in. Well, we are alive, and it is coming in. And, of course, the World Bank is a collection of the same private moneylenders that comprise the World Bank will be in charge of the world's currency. And all of you. Here's an article here, and it's from Yahoo. It'll probably disappear off their site because they don't keep things. And I'll try to find it elsewhere and put it up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com in the end of the show because um, I like to keep these links for future use because there's no point prattling on in the future. Once it's gone, it's gone, and no one believes you. Or you could have made that up. You know. Anyway, it says, Global concern about the debt crisis rocketing the Eurozone mounted Wednesday with Washington sending a top U.S. Treasury envoy to Europe and G20 officials discussing the turmoil in a conference call. And then you, you read about it too. They're calling it now a contagion. It's a debt contagion, like a disease. You know, one, one country after another is just falling, you see. This is an 85 billion euro uh, deal, um, rescue of Ireland last weekend, and public reassurance from European politicians and central bankers have been largely ignored by investors who have targeted Portugal, Spain, and Italy, intent on testing the EU's resolve and crisis-fighting resources. What nonsense eh, is that? I mean, they're almost, see, our tax money is almost paying these guys to invest. Who are the investors? The same guy who own all your debt already, by the way. And they own the debt of all these countries. These are the same characters that do investments. They're waiting for the best deal before they, they grab it all. Anyway, it says, you may think that you sometimes read that Europe is in chaos, disintegrating the, the you're about to disappear. This is wrong, Klaus Regling, the head of the EU's temporary rescue mechanism, said in a speech in Singapore. Well, that's his job to say that. He's a guy who puts the band-aids on. Reflecting global concerns about the Eurozone crisis, the U.S. Treasury announced late on Tuesday that it would dispatch Under Secretary for International Affairs, Lael Brainard, to Europe this week to discuss the turmoil. He'll visit Madrid, Berlin and Paris to discuss the economic developments in Europe and the shared agenda on strong and sustainable growth. And you should ask and go in and find out what he means by that. What is the shared agenda on strong and sustainable growth. Well, what I'll actually do is put up the latest stuff from the Club of Rome, one of these other foundations, you see, that, that, that belong to the parallel government, the real world government. And you can read this for yourself, what they mean by shared agenda on strong and sustainable growth, because the media isn't going to tell you. And it says G20 sources told Reuters, I call it Reuters rather than Reuters, because they route the, the, the only news that you get to you through the mainstream that deputy finance ministers from the top, from the group of major rich and developing nations, that's you folk who are all bankrupt out there in the US, Canada, and so on, had discussed the financial situation in Europe on Monday in a previously arranged conference call, although they described it, uh, the, the call as routine. I guess they're constantly calling each other to see how much money they can soak off the taxpayers. In this age, you see, uh, as, of, of redistributing the world's wealth, they call it. Exactly what Karl Marx said, who was also funded by the same global bankers who set up the Royal Institute of International Affairs. <laughs> Not bad, eh? Beautiful. Long-term planning, you've got to admire it. You've got to admire long-term planning and the setting up of foundations. They can literally, as Carl Quigley said, uh, governments come and go and trends come and go, but you set up a foundation with a mandate and it can go for 200 years pursuing that same mandate. That's how they can do this, you see. And they've got lots of these foundations, all specializing in different areas, 
to bring you all into this perfect utopia of after we go through the starvation routine and stuff and depopulation, uh, then they'll get, go into the eugenics big time and you won't be allowed to have children at all in the regular manner. And that's all been discussed again in the 1800s and then into the 20th century. Anyway, City Group Chief Economist William Breuter warned in a research note this week that the Eurozone turmoil may be the opening act of a global sovereign debt crisis that could soon infect the United States and Japan. Well, you see, this is the age of crisis creation, too, to get their agenda through. So it's all part of the big plan, isn't it? And anyway, what do you owe these characters anyway, really? What did they give you? They didn't give you gold, silver, diamonds, or something you could measure weigh or whatever. They give you checks so you can print up money, so that you can give them real goods back in return. That's not a bad deal, eh? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, there's no better time to bring in authoritarianism as there is when you're under crisis, you know. And the more crisis you have on the go at the same time, the more people will just put up with it and watch their rights being stripped away from them. That's why, of course, they kicked off the millennium, which really began in 2001. If you listen to all the so-called scientists, the experts in time travel, you know, the time lords, they said it was 2001. And then bingo, we have the big attack with the symbolic towers, of course, going down. And um, in comes the New World Order, exactly as, as Daddy Bush predicted uh, early on. And um, here we are, we're no rights at all, we're, we're used to guys searching, seizing, all that kind of stuff. And, and now we're up to x-ray scanners everywhere, even in the streets, and by the way, portable scanners. And we have doses of x-rays, and, and the people see us nude and all the rest of it, and no one really cares, because we've been degraded to such an extent, we see nudity on television all the time, so they say, what's the big deal? No kidding, that's what they say, what's the big deal, eh? Well, my big deal is I don't watch TV. You know? Anyway, the thing is, as many crises on the go as possible is, is helpful to this big agenda. So the, the hype on a bit overpopulation crisis on the one hand, uh, the, the hype up the fact that we're all broke on the other hand, supposedly, and then they hype up that um, they're even hyping up there's not enough people getting born in the, in the first world countries now because we're keeping the rest of them afloat now, supposedly, with sharing our wealth, that we might not have enough, well, we might run out of people uh, producing enough money to share the wealth to those who don't have it. Uh, and that's in the Club of Rome's own statement. I'll put up, as I say, the link up and you can download the PDF for yourself from their latest talks. And you see all these nice smiley faces, people who are paid awfully well to to work in the Club of Rome, this big uh, effectual and yet supposedly charitable uh, private foundation. But it's the, it's the top uh, foundation for the UN for dictating policy for the next 50 to 100 years. So when they say something, listen to it and, and read it and remember it too, because you'll be able to figure out what's happening today and go back into their previous reports, lots of them. These are the guys who came up with the idea of global warming in the 1970s, and in their own statement they said this would fit the bill. After looking at all kinds of crises they could possibly imagine, they says this one would fit the bill, and that's why we're going through this today. But under totalitarianism too, of course, they have to restructure all of society. The Club of Rome also said in the 70s 
that democracy was too cumbersome, too many competing parties wanting different things to happen, uh, that the big agenda couldn't go forth. And there's a big agenda, of course, by the parallel government. So they'd, they'd gradually teach the people that, uh, uh, that under authoritarianism and to be under authoritarianism and to accept it. And people have, actually. They don't realize they're now under authoritarianism. Most folk don't know that. And we've been dictated to and told what to do, and that's it by different so-called ministries, as I like to call them in the British Commonwealth countries, or departments in the U.S. Uh, government. They just tell you what to do. And it's either policy now. They don't usually put things through law, it's just policies now. A policy can get you kicked off your land, you know, a policy. Anyway, they're going after everything, of course, naturally. And this is from Australia, and I think it says the right to silence could be revoked. Now, one of the, the telltale signs of supposed getting towards democracy was having the right to silence when the, when, when the king's men come to get you. It says a person's right to remain silent with impunity after being arrested will be effectively abolished under a police campaign to be taken to the next state election. Now, you forget the police now, this brother who did the police fraternity, they call him in Canada, the police fraternity. That ad's on a while back, the fraternity of policemen. Uh, and it was just a brotherhood, you know. And they're, they're Masonic too. But regardless, they actually, they're actually a lobbying body themselves. And their police chiefs belong to the International Police Chiefs Association, which is, which is signed on to the United Nations. So they're not really yours after all. You just pay their money. Anyway, it says, instead of what a person says being used against them in court, please say a person's refusal to speak should also be able to be used against them in some circumstances. Uh, the New South Wales Police Association will launch a campaign against the current laws in an effort to pressure both parties ahead of March's poll. Police say professional criminals are exploiting the right to silence, making it harder for police to obtain convictions. In other words, they want the same rights to waterboard and all the rest of it as the military is doing elsewhere. I mean, that's just what this all goes to. Believe you me, it's not for the big criminals. Nothing ever stays for the big criminals. Once you create sadomasochism in the military by torturing or do it in police force, it goes all the way, right down the ladder. To, to the guy who stole a, a, a hot cross bun, you know, then they torture him. And, did you do it? Did you do it? You know, and glug, glug, glug. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Glug, glug, glug. You know, and that's it. And they're all happy. They feel really big, 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 powerful guys. Uh, this squirming little worm they've got there uh, soaking wet. And, and society accepts it, accepts this now too, because we've been trained to accept it through all the movies and inter- so what they call entertainment. The culture industry is part of the military-industrial complex, if you haven't figured it out by now. It's a very important part for predictive programming, scientific um, dictatorship. Gives you all your thoughts. You'll laugh at, at all the, the, the comedies they put out there. That's how they introduce all the, the next move, the next move, next move, move for all different kind of gender rights and, 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 and between gender rights and all kinds of odd things. It's through comedy, and you lap it up. Before you know it, you think it's all okay. They're actually pushing now, uh, at least some groups in Britain, especially led from the London School of Economics, to make it okay. This, this feminist uh, lawyer uh, who writes a lot of stuff for feminism is pushing for the rights of uh, uh, convicted uh, sexual criminals to adopt children. After all, everybody else can adopt them now. You see, that's, that's how they go with the dominoes, you see. This group gets into it, then this group, and now, of course, the sex offenders can... She wants them to be able to adopt children, too. So getting back to this Australian one, it goes into the usual stuff, how civil libertarians complain, how it's bad, etc., but the police chiefs will keep pushing for it anyway. What do you expect? Back with more after this. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Hundreds of years ago, the courts of kings and queens used to have advisors, they called them, special court advisors like Machiavelli, and they wrote fantastic uh, resumes for themselves. Francis Bacon was another one where they would show off to the king just how smart and clever they were and how they could con the public and give the, the, the king tips on how to manage the public. Everything is perception, you see, not reality to the public and how easy it was to fool the public and how never to tell the public the, the real truth for anything, about anything. That literally was what Francis Bacon suggested in one of his little resumes, I call them, to a king. But it never ever stopped, of course, because I'm sure from the earliest of times, uh, kings and queens, even thousands of years ago, had the same types of um, advisors and priesthoods. In fact, the pharaohs even had priests around them who uh, would decide who the pharaoh would meet and who he wouldn't meet and so on. They were more powerful in, in some aspects than the pharaoh. There's actually uh, one of the, the, in the histories of uh, Egypt, one of the pharaohs uh, jumped out the window one point to try to find out who the priests had turned away. He didn't even get told there was anybody coming to visit him. So he realized that the, these priests were awfully important and all-powerful, and they were the ones who decided policy because they decided who went to see the, the, the king or the pharaoh and um, no doubt ended up drafting up whatever policy was to come out of it too. So this is an old, old science, and today it's so far, far ahead. I've gone into Bernays, for instance, who mistakenly is called the father, really, of what the neuroscientists would call behaviorism and mass manipulation of the whole populations. And of course, he was related to, to Freud, and that's no coincidence either, because the guys who put Freud out there to destroy one part of civilization, and it was, it was to destroy a religion to a great extent, the existing religions, it also put, put Bernays out there too, and they trained them in their particular fields, because the sciences they, they came out with were well understood a long, long time before that. But Bernays, anyway, he, he was the one who turned America into a consumerist society, the idea being uh, that after about the 1920s, and by the way, Bernays also helped at the League of Nations with Wilson. That's how young he was, too, about 23 at the time. So he was well up there from the very beginning. Very important person, placed at the right, by the right people into the right place. But anyway, he uh, decided that since they had all these excess goods, they couldn't sell every, I mean, machinery and technology was, was rampaging ahead with mass production. Once you had, everybody had a toaster, what do you do? And these things were piling up. So he came up with the idea of turning the public into consumers. If you can't change the method to make the, you know, of, 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 of everybody's getting the same stuff, you, you change the consumers. And that's what he did until the people wanted new all the time. And that's why they came out with toasters that were, were kind of uh, chrome or, or enameled initially and then chromed and then painted and then plastic and, and then all kinds of plastic and, and different brand names and so on. It was all to make you just throw away anything that you thought was old. And that's why they also came out with uh, magazines like Better Homes and Gardens and stuff. These were front organizations, even the magazines, by the way, folks. 
to make to change your personality, to make you a consumer. And it was awfully successful. But Bernays was also used for warfare purposes and how to get the whole nations on board towards war for propaganda. He's the guy who used propaganda, coined the term uh, propaganda, copied it from an old um, Catholic word, at least the definition of it. And he didn't really want to change the name when it became known after World War I, just how much the American public had been lied to. They weren't too happy. So they changed it to public relations. And every department out there now has its department of public relations. Your local council has it. Your councillors, your local body has them. In other words, they're liars. They present such a way that uh, information to you in such a way that it's palatable and generally by misconstruing the realities of what they're talking about. But it makes it palatable to the public. Uh, They use psycholinguistics to make things sound better. Uh, They use nice words in conjunctions with bad things they want to do to you until you get the double-think way of thinking about things. But all governments use this too, right up to the present time. It's neuroscience, they call it now. Behaviorism, as well as from Skinner, is involved in it. And they can actually change. They They also call it behavior modification. It's all part of the same science. And every government does it. Now, there's one for the British government. It's working with Cameron and those guys right now. I'm sure it worked with the last governments too. And it's called, it's called Mindspace. Mindspace is the organization, this company, that works for Her Majesty the Queen. And it's, it's, from, her, it's from the Royal Cabinet Office. I'll put this link up for you to download this PDF. And it says Institute for Government. Mindspace, influencing behavior through public policy. In other words, if they can't get the public to go along with things and, and be agreeable, then they'll change the minds of the public. They'll change you, just like Bernays did, you see. And um, they have a nice cartoon near the brain. It's interesting uh, where they, they put all the different parts of the brain, what it does, incentives, uh, salience, priming, effect, messenger, commitment, ego, norms, habit, and defaults. Defaults are very important uh, because, again, we have um, Sunstein in the States working with Obama, and he's a big player in this psychological-type warfare on the public where they can actually set into you, especially school children, what they call defaults. A default is something like a computer. When something goes wrong, for instance, uh, then you get set back to default position, the initial belief-finding programming. And you're taught all kinds of things at school that are now politically correct, although they might be abhorrent to you in actual fact. Once you start to think about them as abhorrent by, by noticing things as you go along and grow up, uh, you'll get a conflict arising inside of you. They're built into you to have these conflicts and rather than suffer um, the pain of it, you will, go, you will get set back automatically to default. And it happens automatically once you've reached that, that pain level. Because people, you see, will uh, actually go towards, they'll seek pleasure and avoid pain. That's how we are. We're egocentric in a sense. So it's, so it's a practical guide to basically manipulate the general public and alter their behavior. Then it goes through the authors and who they are. Uh, Paul Dolan's a professor of economics in the Department of Social Policy at the London School of Economics. That's where all the people think are lefties go to, but they're actually working for world socialism on behalf of the world bankers. His research focuses on developing measures of subjective well-being for use by policymakers and applying lessons from behavioral economics to understand and change individual behavior. These are the guys who are now teaching you and have drafted up. They're they're incredibly funded. They're drafting up all this stuff so that you'll just come to love austerity. 
So Paul has advised various UK government departments and is currently Chief Academic Advisor on Economic Appraisal for the Government Economic Service. Michael Halsworth is a senior researcher at the Institute for Government. He's conducted cross-government research into organisational behaviour, machinery of government changes and information technology. His current research focuses on behavioural changes and public policy making. Previously he was at RAND, but RAND is a big uh, part of this, RAND Europe, and and it calls itself a not-for-profit policy research institute. It's a military-industrial complex that runs it. Uh, The Pentagon put everything through it as well specializing in futures thinking and performance management. See, we're all under, under performance management right now as you manage through all these crises of perpetual war. And that's what they're calling it, perpetual war, to bring in the new society, the big idea, the big society. David Halpern is a director of research at the Institute for Government. He was chief of analysis at the Prime Minister's Strategy Unit between 2001 and seven. He's the author of Social Capital and the Hidden Wealth of Nations, and it says, and co-author of the report, Changing Behavior and Personal Responsibility. Prior to this, he was a university lecturer in the, the Faculty of Social and Political Sciences at Cambridge University. He goes through them all here. Well, a lot of them at the top ponchos there of the, 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 the mind specialists that are, are changing all of society. They also work, by the way, he doesn't mention it here, with the television authorities because that's how they get most of their subliminal thoughts through. They become concretized in your mind eventually. And all weird things eventually become quite normal to you. Things that you should be discussed at is all quite normal. That's how it's done. I'll put that link up for you anyway. Now, what else did they do? Well, they come out with ideas of Pavlovian training for children, for instance. Here's an idea under austerity and for the sustainable development agenda 21. You see, they're going to take a lot of vehicles off the road and having you live a lot, lot more cheaply. It says children will be given shopping vouchers for walking to school. It's punishment reward, you see. And so this is a radical government plan to combat obesity, they're calling it. Now listen to this. They'll be given shopping vouchers for walking to school and a radical government plan to combat obesity. Pilot schemes which reward children for walking to school have been funded by local councils and transport providers. And also, it says under the scheme... Uh, which will appear as part of the public health white paper to be announced on Tuesday. Children will receive top shop vouchers and cinema tickets uh, for travelling to school on foot. We used to always travel to school on foot. Every school in the country will be offered access on t- to technology which will allow children to use swipe cards. Listen to this. On their way to school, they'll have swipe cards to track their journey to school. And they'll be mounted on lampposts. This, this, is, this is real, folks. It's like something out of some some third-rate movie, but this is real. And it says, um, allow children to use swipe cards to track their journey so that the points can be swapped for consumer rewards. We're all trained this way, but then a lot of you are already trained that way anyway. You've all got these these special access cards to your supermarket and all the stores you go to, don't you? See, it's already used on you before it was used on the children. Guess what? It worked on you, didn't it? Don't leave home without it, eh? Do you have it there? Do you get a little 5% discount on the overpriced groceries? Do you? Hmm? <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. And, and they think it doesn't. People really think they're free. It's fantastic, isn't it? They really think they're, they'll argue with you if you tell them they're not. They don't even control their own minds. They're not in charge of their own minds. Quite something. Anyway... As all the countries go down plummeting like dominoes, as as they're supposed to do to bring in this new world economic system, 
at the same time, they're supposed to f- fund uh, the rising up of third world countries as they're going down broke. That makes a lot of sense to you, doesn't it? Don't you understand? When it doesn't make sense, it's something much bigger. It's a plan. It says, why is, why is Greenland so rich these days? The reason for Greenland being so rich when the countries are going down, it pulled out to the EU. It said goodbye to the EU. It says, um, and it starts off with the fish stocks as an example of what the European Union's done uh, to fishing, as countries were self-supporting at one time. Britain used to have 80% of European fish stocks. It's, if you think that leaving the EU would be catastrophic, look at the Greenland. By rights, its people ought to be poor. Their island is isolated, suffers from freezing weather, has a workforce of only 20,000, and relies on fish for 82% of its exports. But it turns out that since leaving the EU, Greenland has been so freed of EU red tape and of the destruction of the common fisheries policy that the average income of the islanders today is higher than those living in Britain, Germany, and France. Well, no kidding. It didn't take a genius to figure that out before it all happened. Greenland's politicians realized that the fisheries policy was ruining their fishing industry when they were in the EU. They had to get the guts to stand up against all of the prophets of doom and let their people vote in a referendum on leaving the European community, as the EU was then called. On January 1st, 1985, it became independent of Brussels, the only country ever to do so. Greenland was, with Britain, one of only two EU countries to be heavily dependent on fishing, In fact, Britain had, in some estimates, 80% of Europe's fish stocks when it entered the EU because the fishermen had carefully managed them well. They they managed the stocks. They didn't rape the seabed like these deep trawlers do, which the fishermen of Spain, France, and Italy had destroyed most of of their Mediterranean stocks by deep trawling. They did the same in Canada. They're bringing Spanish ones off Canada quite a few years back, in fact, when they banned the East Coast for fishermen to fish in Canada. They brought them all in, uh, they let them come all in to, to Canadian waters and, and, and literally deep trawling and destroy the fish stocks of Canada. They put the, the Canadian ones out of business. Their own government put us out of business. The Canadian government put the fishermen of Canada out of business. It says here, surprising thing is that while the unemployment from closing uh, loss-making coal mines is frequently denounced by Labour politicians, more British workers lost their jobs as a result of gigantic French and Spanish boats being permitted to raid our stocks. Few of those politicians seem to care, but care they should because it's not just fish where the EU is damaging us, but in financial services, manufacturing. Indeed, its ever-increasing regulations impose unnecessary costs across the whole of our economy. Greenland, which retains free trade with the EU, they still get free trade with it because, of course, they're going to trade for it with it. you got all the fish. It shows that we can have the benefits of European exports without the cost of their dictates. It's surely time that we too said goodbye to Brussels. So ain't it true, eh? But it won't happen for the rest of the countries because they're all run so well by the guys that have been placed in there by the guys who run the world. And that's why. The public don't elect these characters. What you, what you get to do in this so-called democracy is it's the same as Russia had under the Soviet Union. They give you Politburo member one, two, three, or four. Which one do you want to vote for? It's the same thing. Carr quickly said that too. Every prime minister and every president from the late 1800s has been a member of this institution that he was a member of himself. It was picked by them. We now call it the Council on Foreign Relations. So there you are. But yeah, I can remember in Canada when they brought in all the 
they, they allowed it in all the big deep trawlers, these massive boats that really scoured, they took everything off, including all the eggs off the bottom. And, uh, and at the same time, the Canadian fishermen were not allowed to go out and fish by their own government. It's a plan, you see. You can't have an independent country. You know, at the end of World War II, even the UN, because of Canada's different kind of banking system at the time, uh, the, the UN said Canada was the most likely post-war country to, to spring into first at the top of the world status for manufacturing and so on, because it had so little debt. So little debt. Then Trudeau was put in, of course, who was actually a communist, and every media member knew he was a communist, but never mentioned it. And he actually led the common turn young communists of Canada over to Moscow in 1952. And that's disclosed now, information, official information. And when he left, Canada was as rolled up in debt as every other country. Changed everything, immigration policies, the whole law upside down. To be the same as the rest of the world, interdependent. Meaning we owe our socks and our shirts to the, to the World Bank. Folk don't even know what's happening. Mind you, as I say, you're taught to have fun, 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 and they give you so much cheap fun to keep you amused and happy. Interesting what Bertrand Russell said, too. He says he said that um, the public will believe they're happy, even if they're living in misery, because the government tells them so. So they keep, they keep telling you you're happy, and sure, sure you will be happy. Quite something. Now, we've heard about all the welfare, the welfare, the welfare, and there was a lot about welfare recipients, you see, and yet corporate welfare is the biggest welfare of all, the gifts they give to the corporations. And I'll touch on this when I come back from this break. Hi, folks, we're back, and we're cutting through the matrix. And apart from that, too, we've talked about welfare and how corporate welfare is amongst the top recipients, these big companies of your tax money. Why do we have to pay the welfare for people in other countries, too? Well, we're all interdependent now. I forgot about that. Well, anyway, back to this article. Weapon makers, uh, multinationals amongst top beneficiary of the EU regional funds, they call it. That's the taxpayers of Europe who are funding this. It says the EU Commission has tried to defend the rationale of its regional policy after a new database put together by investigative journalists revealed that corporations such as IBM and Coca-Cola are on the recipient list together with weapons makers Honeywell, EADS and Dassault and big pharmaceutical companies and chain supermarkets. They call it a cohesion policy. Not bad, eh? Being a member of the cohesion policy with this throw billions at you, eh? It says good for the economy by giving them money. It's not bad. It's good business. Uh, we're all in the wrong fields, folks. Now, there's a caller there, Steve from Indiana. Are you there, Steve? Hello, Alan. Yes. Always a pleasure. Yeah, me and my friend, we've been trying to figure out something that, that will happen in the future. Now, we're out in the country, so we don't see stuff in the cities. And we're trying to figure out if the military is going to be brought home, or are they going to keep them overseas so they won't be here? You know what I mean? They have contingency plans on all of this, and I've read some of them here. I've got a whole bunch of them here, in fact. 
And they're going to bring in, of course, everything's going to happen. It's going to be joint NATO exercises and so on. And they can bring them in from all other countries. Uh, I think in the 70s, Kissinger said the people, a speech in California, he said the American people uh, would would be pleased to see the the UN come in, he says, in times of crisis uh, down the road, just given the right circumstances. Well, that will happen. But they've already trained your own police and joint jurisdictional task forces. That's various um, part-time military organizations and so on to to work together during a time of crisis and clear people off the land into central areas where everyone can be watched and monitored and so on. Uh, that is to happen, yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing we're trying to figure out is as more and more people are unable to afford their cable TV signal and stuff like that, they'll be cut off, and we're trying to figure out will they find a way to make sure that they have their programming signal coming in where they can be you know, occupied with that. Instead of going outside and going, hey, you know, what's going on here, you know? Well, p- part of the, pro- the, the reason that they've not put the broadband and the, the easy Wi-Fi all over the place and good, good service in America is because they want the folk to start to move towards the cities. Also, they're jacking up taxes, even in Canada and all rural areas. Uh, the recession taxes came in last year to about $1,000 per home uh, extra and above all your regular taxes. And they're going to jack it up again this year. And they've actually said that in the various big think tanks uh, that I often talk about here, that through gradually increasing property taxes and so on, and more restrictive abilities for building permits, maintenance permits, septic permits, up- upgrading of septics, you can't afford eventually to live on the land. I read one from the from the United Nations and, and their projection up to the year 2050, and they said by about 2030 or before, uh, taxes will be so high that only a 3% will live on the rural areas, and they will be very rich people. So that's the incentive to move, you see. Yeah. Okay, Alan, I, I hear the music. I'll uh, call you back soon, and uh, you hang in there. Thank you. For all from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.